Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the kooky koala with an affinity for alliteration with me is Ellen. Right? Ready for the rolling rehash? Last week, we discussed the first half of Chapter 5, The Dementor, and its corresponding film scenes. Arthur advises against Harry hunting homicidal madmen who want to murder him. Ron is rarely reassuring. Hermione hearts Hogsmeade history. The movie omits many minor matters. And RJ rises to the rescue when Dementors detain the train and deliver darkness. During episode 42, The Mysterious Case of Professor R.J. Lupin, we had two Potter ponderings. The first one was, based on the case stamped with Professor R.J. Lupin, do you think Lupin was a teacher in the past, or maybe intended on becoming a teacher? Carly said that she always thought he got it stamped for the job, but he has teacher goals, honestly. As a teacher, too, I absolutely agree. I actually talked a little bit about this on the bonus episode about education within Harry Potter that I recorded with a fellow educator and Harry Potter podcaster, Melissa Crowley, of the podcast that must not be named, which is a predominantly spoiler-free chapter-by-chapter reread of the series. You should totally check it out, as well as our bonus episode about education, which I posted on Tuesday. Sadly, you won't get to hear me on that one. I know you're all devastated but it's still a good episode. Back to our Potter ponderings. Max said that he always thought that it was odd that they called the teachers professors, but he always guessed that Lupin had that done because he was going to teach at Hogwarts. Diana said that it wouldn't have been stamped for his position at Hogwarts since the case was battered and the letters were peeling. She read an interesting theory that he may have gone abroad to teach at another wizarding school, or that he may have been a private tutor to children who suffered from similar conditions. Hmm. She likes to think the latter to be true, helping teach young kids and taking away some of the loneliness from them that he experienced as a child. Aww, I love that idea. Right? It's so perfect. Mm -hmm. Juliana said that she pictured James and Sirius getting that case with Professor on the side as a joke, but Remus kept it for sentimental reasons. Oh, I like that too. Right? <laughs> Jackson thinks it always said R.J. Lupin. He just added the Professor when he started at Hogwarts. Then when he left, he removed it. Emma said basically the same thing, that she likes to think that it was his old school bag and he added Professor to it. Quincy says he has no idea. He just likes hearing his name on the show. <laughs> he would. And we actually say Quincy, unlike Dave, who says he who must not be named. Mm -hmm. But if Quincy had to guess, he thinks he was on the fast track to become a teacher, but that no one would have hired him because of his furry little problem. Which seems pretty reasonable to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Allison just wanted to add that he certainly was an excellent professor. He definitely was. As Carly said, teacher goals. <laughs> For sure. Our other Potter pondering was, what do you think of how the movie portrayed the Dementors? Carly said that the Dementors aren't what she pictured, but they were still good. Spooky and definitely the embodiment of depression, but definitely not what she was picturing, since they say hooded, she always pictured them in a cloak similar to a Grim Reaper. Diana doesn't really remember how she imagined the Dementors when she first read Prisoner of Azkaban, but the movie Dementors always reminded her of the ghost of Christmas yet to come from a Muppet Christmas Carol, which is also a very dark and foreboding character, so she thinks they're spot on. Hmm. Max thought the Dementors were perfect, way scarier than he had ever imagined when reading the book. Juliana said that even though the Dementors look strikingly like the Ringwraiths from The Lord of the Rings, they are exactly how she pictured them. Kristen said that she loved how the Dementors were portrayed in Prisoner of Azkaban, but did not like the change in the following movies. The cloaked heads just spoke more to her than seeing their faces. Dementors should be faceless beings. I can see what she means. Mm -hmm. Jackson also fully agrees with Kristen. 
Prisoner of Azkaban portrayed them perfectly as the faceless fiends they're supposed to be. That was some good alliteration, faceless fiends. I like that. The other films sort of streamlined their cloaks, and as Kristen said, seemed to give them faces. We will definitely end up talking more about that when we get to those changes in later stories. Yeah. I remember personally just being surprised that they could fly. That always seemed weird to me, but... I loved all the responses we got from the Keepers myself. Right? Best Keepers ever. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing. Our trivia question last week was, what was the name of the professor who used to teach care of magical creatures before Hagrid takes over? The teacher who retired to enjoy more time with his remaining limbs was Professor Kettleburn. <laughs> I still love that. <laughs> right? Congratulations goes to Dave Garza. Once again, he and Jackson were neck and neck, but this time Dave came out on top. Dave said that it took him forever to find the answer last week, but he found this one easier. He called himself a great Harry Potter fan, but says he sucks at Harry Potter trivia nights, unlike Ellen and Katie. Harry Potter trivia is my drug of choice, and it's just as effective to beat the distributor. Mm-hmm. Dave is, of course, still extremely determined to beat Quincy's streak, but since his best streak so far is three weeks, Quincy commented that he needs to be faster to catch up to him. I love the competition the trivia brings. Mm-hmm. It's both fierce and supportive at the same time. <laughs> School has started back up for me, so I couldn't wait up to see who won, and it was fun to wake up and read all of the comments in the morning. Definitely. The suspense is great. Who's going to win? Will anyone ever catch up to Quincy's streak? Honestly, I kind of wonder how Quincy would fare now that there's all this extra competition. Right? Mm-hmm. Hint, hint, Quincy. Nudge, nudge. Maybe we'll see him win again. But for now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 5, The Dementor and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 5, The Dementor, Part 2. Harry opens his eyes and sees Ron and Hermione kneeling next to him, and Neville and Lupin watching. Feeling very sick, he asks what happened, where that thing went, and who screamed. Ron nervously tells him that no one screamed. Lupin gives Harry a large piece of chocolate and tells him that it will help. Harry asks what that thing was, and he explains that it was a Dementor, one of the guards from Azkaban. He gives chocolate to everyone else and tells them to eat it before going to speak to the driver. Hermione asks Harry if he's sure he's okay, and Harry again asks what happened. They explained that the Dementor looked around, and then Harry went sort of rigid and fell out of his seat and started twitching. Then Professor Lupin stepped over him and told the Dementor that Sirius Black wasn't there and to go. When it didn't move, he made something silvery shoot out of his wand that drove it away. Neville says that it was horrible, and Ron adds that he felt weird, like he'd never be cheerful again. Ginny is huddled in the corner looking nearly as bad as Harry feels, but upon realizing that none of them fell out of their seats, he starts to feel a little ashamed. Lupin returns and tells him that he hasn't poisoned the chocolate, prompting Harry to take a bite and feel warmth spread to his fingers and toes. They have about ten minutes left to the journey, and they spend it mostly in silence. Once the train arrives at the Hogsmeade station, there's a big rush to get off the train into the freezing rain. They hear Hagrid's voice call for the first years to journey across the lake. He sees the trio and says, All right, you three? They wave and follow the rest of the school to about a hundred stagecoaches pulled by what Harry assumes is invisible horses. The carriages move along by themselves through Hogwarts Gate and pass two more Dementors. Harry feels the cold sickness again and closes his eyes until they are past them. They stop in front of the castle and climb out of the carriages. As Harry steps down, he hears Draco Malfoy's drawing voice make fun of him for fainting. Ron tells him to shove off, and Malfoy wants to know if he fainted as well. Professor Lupin steps up, asking if there's a problem, and Malfoy says, Oh, no, er, Professor, with a slight hint of sarcasm in his voice. They are all walking into the castle and towards the Great Hall when they hear Professor McGonagall's voice call for Harry and Hermione. She says that she wants to see them both, and they follow her to her office. They all sit down, and she says that Professor Lupin sent an owl ahead, that Harry was taken ill on the train. At this moment, the nurse, Madame Pomfrey, comes in to check on him. 
She doesn't seem the least bit surprised that it was Harry who was ill and assumes he's been doing something dangerous again. McGonagall explains that it was a Dementor and the two women exchange a look. Madame Pomfrey says that he won't be the last and he's all clammy. McGonagall wants to know what he needs, wondering if he should spend the night in the hospital wing. Harry is horrified at the idea and jumps up, insisting he is fine. Madame Pomfrey says he should at least have some chocolate, and he tells her that Professor Lupin already gave him some. She approves, glad they finally have a defense against the dark arts teacher who knows his remedies. McGonagall makes sure Harry is really feeling all right, then tells him to wait outside while she has a quick word with Miss Granger about her schedule. Harry steps out to the corridor, and after a few minutes, Hermione and Professor McGonagall do too. They head back down to the Great Hall just after the sorting is finished. Ron has seats saved for them at the Gryffindor table, so they head that way for the feast. People look around at them as they walk by, a few of them pointing at Harry, who is worried that the story of his collapsing has already traveled the school. Ron asks them what that was all about, but before Harry can explain, Professor Dumbledore stands up to speak. He welcomes them to another year at Hogwarts and says that he has a few things that he wants to share before they all become befuddled by the feast. He shares that the Dementors of Azkaban are stationed at every entrance to the grounds, and while they are there, nobody is to leave school without permission. Dementors are not to be fooled by tricks, disguises, or even invisibility cloaks. They do not understand pleading or excuses, so he warns each of them to give them no reason to harm them and adds that he looks to the prefix and the new head boy and girl to make sure the students are safe. Dumbledore then goes on to share that they have two new teachers this year. He welcomes Professor Lupin as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. There is a scattered applause, and Ron notices that Snape looks more angry than usual about this appointment. Dumbledore then announces that Professor Kettleburn has retired from Care of Magical Creatures, and the job is being filled by none other than Rubius Hagrid. He receives much more applause, particularly from the Gryffindor table, and Ron says that they should have known because who else would have assigned them a biting book? Dumbledore says to let the feast begin and all of the plates and goblets fill with food and drink. When he says it's time for bed, Harry, Ron, and Hermione get a chance to congratulate Hagrid before McGonagall shoes them away. The trio joins the rest of the Gryffindors up the marble staircase along more corridors and stairs to the hidden entrance to the Gryffindor Tower behind the portrait of a fat lady in a pink dress who asks them for the password. Percy pushes through and to Neville's dismay announces that the new password is Fortuna Major. They all head through the portrait hole and across the common room. Once back in the circular dormitory with the five four-poster beds, Harry finally feels like he is home. In the movie, as Hermione is calling Harry's name, the picture opens back up on Harry lying on his side. He is surrounded by Hermione, Ron, and Professor Lupin, who is offering him chocolate. Harry takes the chocolate, but doesn't eat it, too distracted wondering what that thing was. Lupin explains that it was a Dementor, one of the Azkaban guards, searching the train for Sirius Black. He excuses himself to have a word with the driver and tells Harry to eat the chocolate, he'll feel better, before closing the door. Harry takes a small bite of chocolate and asks what happened to him. Ron tells him that he sort of went rigid and they thought he was having a fit or something. Harry then asks if either of them passed out, and Ron says no, but he felt weird, like he'd never be cheerful again. Harry asks about the woman who was screaming, and Hermione tells him that no one was screaming. Upset by this information, Harry looks at his reflection in the dark, rainy window. The camera pans in on his face in the reflection and transitions to a puddle of water just before a carriage wheel rolls through it. Zooming out, the camera shows a row of carriages moving along without horses towards Hogwarts Castle as the song Double Trouble plays over the scene. The scene then shifts to the Great Hall where the Hogwarts Toad Choir is singing the song, directed by Professor Flitwick. Once the song is finished, the choir steps aside and everyone claps. Professor Dumbledore steps up to his podium decorated with a golden owl and surrounded with some candles. He welcomes everyone to another year at Hogwarts. He says that he'd like to say a few words before they all become too befuddled by the excellent feast. He starts off by welcoming Professor R.J. Lupin as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. He gestures to him as he wishes him good luck and Professor Lupin stands to accept the applause. Snape gives a very half-hearted two-clap before immediately ceasing, and Hermione says, Of course, that's why he knew to give you the chocolate, Harry. 
Draco Malfoy takes this opportunity to get Harry's attention so he can make fun of him for fainting. Ron tells him to shove off, and Harry wonders how he found out. Hermione tells him to just forget it, and the focus returns to Dumbledore's speech. He is now announcing that the Care of Magical Creatures teacher had decided to retire in order to spend more time with his remaining limbs, and that he is delighted to announce that his place will be taken by none other than Rubius Hagrid. Everyone, especially the Gryffindor table, begins to applaud, and Professor McGonagall nudges Hagrid, who stands, knocking the whole table forward. Dumbledore concludes his announcement with a more disquieting note, sharing that the Ministry of Magic has requested that Hogwarts plays host to the Dementors of Azkaban until Sirius Black is captured. He says that the Dementors will be stationed at every entrance to the grounds, and he cautions the students that they will not distinguish between the one they hunt and the one who gets in their way. He warns each and every one of them not to give the Dementors any reason to harm them, as it is not in their nature to be forgiving. He adds on a lighter message, saying, Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. He waves his hand over a candle, causing the flame to go out, and continues on to say, If one only remembers to turn on the light. He waves his hand back over the candle, and it reignites. The scene transitions to everyone pouring out of the Great Hall to head to their dormitories. From an aerial view of the moving staircases, we see the Gryffindors approach the portrait of the Fat Lady. Seamus Finnegan reaches her first, saying the password, Fortuna Major, but she is too busy trying to break a glass with her singing voice to let them in. Dean Thomas and Neville Longbottom, followed by Harry, Ron, and Hermione, walk up next. Harry again gives her the password, but she tells them to wait and tries to sing again. She basically just screams at the glass, causing everyone to cover their ears. The glass still isn't breaking, so she finally just hits it against the wall behind her and pretends like it was her voice that did it. Harry says the password again, and she finally lets them in. They walk through their common room, with Harry and Seamus talking about how she's still doing that after three years, and she can't even sing. They walk past a ghost that Dean Thomas accidentally walks through, and then the scene cuts to the third-year Gryffindor boys in their dorm room, eating sweets that makes Seamus act like a monkey, Neville act like an elephant, and Ron act like a lion. Harry then eats something that causes steam to pour out from his ears. The camera view switches to watch them start throwing the candy at each other from outside of the window, and then cuts to the Hogwarts grounds, surrounded by Dementors floating in the air before fading to black. So last week, we discussed the first half of Chapter 5 in the corresponding film scenes, and we ended it right when Harry passed out from sucking face with the Dementor. In the book, someone is slapping him awake and he opens his eyes to realize that the lights were back on, the train was moving again, and Hermione and Ron were kneeling next to him looking concerned, with Neville and Professor Lupin standing in the background, and Ginny curled up on a seat. He was lying on the floor and feeling very ill. The movie starts out similarly. Since we cut the scene on a dip-to-black transition, it picks back up while still black. Hermione is saying Harry's name, and he opens his eyes to find himself lying on his side on the seats. There is no slapping him awake this time. Which is probably a good thing. I don't even know if that works. Probably not, but it seems like a good time to slap someone and get away with it. (laughs) There is that. Mm -hmm. But I do like the audio transition the movie included as well. Since right before Harry passes out, he hears someone screaming his name. It cuts to black and transitions to Hermione saying his name. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really nice touch. It really was. Obviously, since Neville and Ginny weren't present in the movie scene before, they still aren't there now. And it's just Hermione, Ron, and Professor Lupin surrounding him looking concerned. In the book, Ron asks if Harry is okay, and Harry says, yeah, then wants to know what happened, where that thing went, and who screamed. Ron tells him that no one screamed, and Harry looks around to see a very pale Neville and Ginny looking back at him. They're all startled by a loud snap, which turns out to be Professor Lupin breaking chocolate into pieces. He gives a piece to Harry and tells him it will help if he eats it. The movie just has Professor Lupin go straight into giving him the chocolate. And I gotta say, you gotta love a man who brings chocolate with him everywhere he goes. (laughs) You gotta love Lupin in general. Well, yeah. The chocolate is just bonus points. Yes. Facts. (laughs) In both, Harry takes it but doesn't eat it. Instead, asking Lupin what that thing was. Lupin explains that it was a Dementor, one of the Azkaban guards. In the movie, he also says that he was searching the train for Sirius Black. Yeah, the book didn't include that part. 
just had him give chocolate to the rest of them, and then excuse himself to speak to the driver, telling Harry to eat the chocolate. It'll help. He says that in the movie, too. And how much do I want to know what Lupin said to the driver? Like, so much. I just want to hear that conversation. All of the much. Mm -hmm. This could make a good Potter pondering. Ooh, yeah. Maybe our keepers have some good theories about it. I will say that this scene made me no longer worry about David Thewlis's Lupin. Like, I was very nervous when the casting announcement was made and then when promo photos came out. Because I personally really wanted Ewan McGregor for Lupin. But I guess David Thewlis will do. I actually didn't give that much thought to it. But this was back when I was a not closeted Harry Potter fan. But I definitely didn't have anyone to share my love of it with. So I internalized a lot of things and didn't analyze things as much as I do now. That's understandable. I had my online friends that my friend Anna was the one who actually originally suggested Ewan McGregor for Lupin. And I was like, yes, I am on that. So I probably, if it was just me, I probably wouldn't have thought of it either, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But, you know, it was really nice to be able to talk things through with people. But it was rough, too, because you had a lot of people who had a lot of hate for certain things and you were like there but was I, that. I didn't think that was so bad you know that's why we try not to bring too much of the hate here exactly try i don't do very well at it but you keep me in check i think <laughs> but after lupin leaves to talk to the driver harry finally takes the tiniest most ridiculously small bite of chocolate right <laughs> it was such a non-bite it always made me wonder if maybe Dan didn't like chocolate and that was just the most he could manage. It was just like a little nibble. In the book, Harry again asks more questions about what happened and learns that the Dementor caused him to go into some kind of a fit and fall off his seat. Then Lupin stepped over him and told the Dementor that none of them were hiding Sirius Black under their cloaks and to go. When it didn't listen... He muttered something and a silvery thing shot out of his wand and drove it away. Last week, we did see the silvery light drive the Dementor away right before Harry passed out. So that kept that part fairly accurate. Yeah. Then Neville said it was horrible. Ron said he felt like he'd never be cheerful again. And Hermione comforted Jenny, who was sobbing while huddled in the corner, looking nearly as bad as Harry felt. But Harry finds out that none of them actually fell out of their seats, too, and starts to feel ashamed. In the movie, Harry asks if either of them passed out, and Ron does say the same line about never feeling cheerful again. But then Harry asks about the woman who screamed, and it was Grand Theft Audio Hermione who tells Harry that no one screamed. Not Ron, like in the book. Shocking. Mm -hmm. Though honestly, it's the only thing she has to say this whole scene, so I guess it makes sense to include her. At least this wasn't a line that made her know things a muggle-born wouldn't know. That's something, at least. But then we're back to the awesome transitions, as Harry takes in this information and looks at his reflection in the dark, rainy window. The camera pans in on his face in the reflection and then transitions to a puddle of water just before a carriage wheel rolls through it. Zooming out, the camera shows a row of carriages moving along without horses. Which again cuts out a little part of the chapter since we actually see Lupin come back and again have to tell Harry to eat the chocolate, saying he didn't poison it. Harry takes a real bite and is surprised to feel warmth spread to the tips of his fingers and toes. We also see their actual arrival at the Hogsmeade station in the scramble to get out into the rain. Hagrid is calling for the first years to take their boat ride across the lake and says hi to the trio who wave back. They then get into a carriage, and it specifically notes that Harry assumes they are pulled by invisible horses. Yeah, I'm glad that they actually included the horseless carriages in this transition. It's definitely a nice touch, since that will become important later. Mm -hmm. In the book, the carriages drive them past a couple of Dementors flanking the gate, and Harry feels another wave of that cold sickness again. He has to close his eyes until they're past, but once they get to the castle... Malfoy seizes the opportunity to make fun of Harry for fainting, asking if Longbottom is telling the truth. This does get referenced in the movie, though not the part that Neville told him. I honestly have a hard time believing Neville would have blabbed that information, though. Same here. It seems strange that Neville would just go around talking about Harry fainting. In general, it doesn't seem like Neville would go around telling people embarrassing things about Harry. Yeah. He seems more compassionate than that. Yeah. But Ron tells Malfoy to shove off, and Lupin steps in to see if there's a problem. 
Malfoy looks him up and down and gives a sarcastic, oh, no, er, professor, then smirks and walks away. They all head into the entrance hall, but Hermione and Harry are intercepted by Professor McGonagall, who wants a word with them. She leads them to her office and has Madame Pomfrey come in to check out Harry. She decides he's okay after realizing Professor Lupin already gave him chocolate. McGonagall then asks him to wait outside while she has a word with Hermione about her schedule before she walks them back to the Great Hall. This part was not included in the movie either, even though it is actually a fairly significant moment that we will talk more about later. But the film just transitioned from the horseless carriages heading to the castle to everyone in the Great Hall. The way they continued this transition was actually really cool, too, because they had the song Double Trouble playing over the scene with all the carriages, and then when it shifts to the Great Hall, the Hogwarts Toad Choir were singing the song, directed by Professor Flitwick, of course. I don't know why I said of course. I read somewhere that he wasn't actually Professor Flitwick at the time. They just really wanted to include Warwick Davis in the film and didn't have a role for the actual Professor Flitwick, so they gave him a different look and made him the choir director. Then, when David Yates took over directing, they just gave Flitwick a major glow-up and kept that look for him. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) IMDb actually only has him credited as playing wizard in this movie, not even choir director. But my favorite description of the Toad Choir is the Richard Harris Memorial Toad Choir. My favorite part about the Toad Choir is that, since Double Trouble is a Shakespeare reference, there's a theory that Shakespeare was a wizard. I like that. Right? But since music is a really important element to Alfonso Cuaron, I think using this song was very fitting on several different levels, since the Double Double Toil and Trouble was originally said by the Macbeth witches, who were also known as the Weird Sisters, Mm -hmm. plus... The whole of Macbeth makes references to good versus evil, the dangers of ambition, the influence of supernatural forces, the contrast between appearance and reality, and loyalty and guilt. There's obviously a lot of parallels between the themes of the two stories. Which makes it a very fitting song. But the soundtrack in general for this movie is just absolutely phenomenal. We're going to be doing another bonus episode with Max about it. Yeah, I think that one's going to be really fun to record too. Mm-hmm. But despite the clever layers of the Toad Choir, it was not a thing in the book. Mm-mm. Which actually makes me wonder what our keepers think about its edition. So I think we're going to end up with a couple of Potter Ponderings this week. Sounds good. But in the book, Harry and Hermione get back from McGonagall's office and realize that they missed the sorting. Ron had saved them seats and asked what that was all about. But before Harry could answer, Dumbledore stands up to speak. Since the movie didn't include the conversation with McGonagall, and no one of note really started at Hogwarts this year, the movie just didn't bother to show the sorting. It just went straight from the Toad Choir finishing the song and walking off to Dumbledore standing and approaching his podium. He didn't have a podium in the book, but the gist of his announcements are the same here. Welcome back to Hogwarts. I'll be your new Dumbledore this year, and I may or may not have started growing gillyweed in my office, but don't worry, it's for my glaucoma. (laughs) Okay, maybe not exactly the same, (laughs) since your description of new Dumbledore is really not far off the mark. Book Dumbledore is described to give an impression of great energy, despite being old. Harry feels that you can't help trusting him, and for the first time since the Dementor, seeing Dumbledore actually made him feel calm. They got Dumbledore's physical appearance down, though. Like with the long silver hair, and the beard, and the half-moon spectacles. Yeah, he looked good. I just think they took Dumbledore's whimsy a little too far, but Mm -hmm. we'll talk more about that later. For real, in his speech, he welcomed everyone to another year at Hogwarts and said that he would like to say a few words before they become befuddled by the excellent feast. Which was basically the same introduction in the movie, too, though it did shift the order in which he announced things. He started out by welcoming Professor R.J. Lupin as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and wished him luck. Lupin stands to accept the applause, and if you notice, Snape's little bitchy golf clap for Lupin. It's me anytime someone I don't like has good news, honestly. (laughs) In the book, he didn't even bother to clap at all. He just wore an expression of absolute loathing. Well, seriously, though, I mean, how fucking pissed must Snape have been? You're giving the position that I want to someone I've literally hated most of my life, and you sit me right next to him at dinner? Like, what the fuck, hippie Dumbledore? (laughs) Hippie Dumbledore. (laughs) 
I'm just saying. However, Lupin's little bow is just so adorable. It kind of makes me forget things. <laughs> this is also when Malfoy makes fun of Harry for fainting and Ron tells him to shove off. But what's with the real Slim Shady sitting next to Draco in the Great Hall? I think this must have fallen on the timeline of when Jamie Waylett was having some legal troubles. Maybe. Because there were a couple of things. Like, I think it was marijuana possession and his participation in the English riots. Mm-hmm. So they had to replace one of Malfoy's cronies. Yeah, I just didn't like the inconsistency. Because sometimes Jamie Waylett was there, sometimes he wasn't. So he's, like, all over the place. Yeah. Like, he had court this day. Yeah. It was weird. Very weird. That all happened right after Hermione acknowledges that Lupin was the Defense Against Dark Arts teacher, and that's how he knew to give Harry the chocolate. Which references both Madame Pomfrey's approval of having a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who knows his remedies, and Hermione's comment on the train about how there was only one vacancy, so he had to be the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Except that there wasn't only one vacancy. Because after Hermione tells Harry to just ignore Malfoy, their focus shifts back to Dumbledore, who is announcing that the old Care of Magical Creatures teacher, Professor Kettleburn, retired at the end of last year in order to spend more time with his remaining limbs. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Though the movie didn't actually use his name, I love that the Care of Magical Creatures teacher retired in order to spend time with his remaining limbs. That's awesome. <laughs> Then Dumbledore said that he was delighted to announce that his place would be taken by none other than Rubius Hagrid. Everyone, especially Gryffindor, begins to applaud, and Hagrid looks so adorably nervous while Dumbledore was introducing him. And McGonagall elbowing him to get him to stand up is awesome, because her elbow has to go, like, above her head to get to his shoulder. (laughs) Because he's so damn tall. In the book, Ron says they should have known. Who else would have assigned them a biting book? They could have easily fit that into the film, too, but instead, Dumbledore just goes on to share his last announcement, which is that Hogwarts is hosting the Dementors of Azkaban until Sirius Black is caught. He cautions the students that they will not distinguish between the one they hunt and the one who gets in their way. He warns each and every one of them not to give the Dementors any reason to harm them, as it is not in their nature to be forgiving. This is pretty similar to what he says in the book. Though, as you mentioned before, they did shift the order of things. In the book, Dumbledore starts out with the most serious of announcements, telling them about the Dementors stationed at every entrance to the grounds. He specifically tells them that they are not to leave the school without permission, and that Dementors will not be fooled by tricks, disguises, or even invisibility cloaks. But he does also make the same comment about not giving them any reason to harm you. So basically, do not give the Dementors any reason to harm you, and for God's sakes, if they want your chicken fingers, you give them your chicken fingers. Not the chicken fingers! Do you want to lose your soul? Because that's how you lose your soul. Fine. Bye-bye, chicken fingers. You are so delicious. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, after Dumbledore tells them about the Dementors, he moves on to the lighter notes to end his announcement welcoming Professor Lupin as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and sharing the news of Professor Kettleburn's retirement and Hagrid's appointment to Care of Magical Creatures teacher. Then he says to let the feast begin and the food appears. The movie also ends the speech on a slightly lighter note when Dumbledore says that happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. He waves his hand over a candle causing the flame to go out and continues on to say, if one only remembers to turn on the light. And then he waves his hand back over the candle and it reignites. And I legit need to learn that whole hand wave candlelight thing he does. Because that's awesome. That would be really useful. Right? Even though it didn't happen in the book, I actually kind of liked it. Because it was one of the most Dumbledore-ish things that movie Dumbledore did. With, you know, the weird, somewhat cryptic advice that actually has a lot more meaning than you may initially realize. Ooh, ooh. Maybe they were making up for in the second movie when Hermione stole the line of fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself. Maybe. They were making up for it, so they gave him a nice line. I don't know. Could be. I'm grasping at straws. Yeah, but then the movie transitions to everyone leaving the Great Hall to head to their common rooms, and we get a great shot of the moving staircases as the Gryffindors approach the portrait of the fat lady. This only minorly streamlines things in the book, since... We only get a slight description of all the food at the feast, 
but it does cut out Harry, Ron, and Hermione being eager to talk to Hagrid since they know how much being made a teacher would mean to him. They do get a brief chance to congratulate him before they leave the Great Hall, and Hagrid was so happy he became overcome with emotion and Professor McGonagall has to shoo them away. <laughs> they then go catch up with the rest of the Gryffindors and head to the portrait of the Fat Lady. The movie veers away from the book again here since it adds some more comic relief. I gotta say, I love Dawn French as the Fat Lady, but she's still not how I originally imagined her. Like, I feel like they overcompensated on making her more of a character than she was in the first two. Yeah, the only thing they actually kept the same here was the fact that the password was Fortuna Major. In the book, Neville was worried about remembering this one, which is actually a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. But Percy shares the password and they all enter, cross the common room, and head to their separate dormitories. Once Harry reaches the familiar circular room with the five four-poster beds, he finally feels like he's at home. And this is where the chapter ends. In addition to changing it somewhat, the movie extends past that, too. There's a whole bit with the fat lady refusing to let them in because she's trying to break a glass with her singing voice, before finally screeching as high as she can at it and just hitting it against the wall behind her and claiming she did it with her voice. <laughs> just with my voice! Amazing! <laughs> yeah, Sir Cadagan in the background acting a damn fool is a fun little hidden gem, too. <laughs> yeah, I wish they'd included more of him in the film. They did film it, it's just a deleted scene. So we'll talk about that when we get to it. But you just have most of the third-year Gryffindors impatiently waiting for the fat lady to finally let them in. And Harry again says, Fortuna Major, in an exasperated voice before she finally does. Then you have Harry and Seamus doing what I can only assume is terrible ad-libbing about the fat lady not being able to sing. Yeah, they did not play off of each other well for that part. Mm -mm. The Weasley twins... I mean, James and Oliver Phelps really should have given them lessons. Plus, they had Dean Thomas, the one-line wonder, walk through a ghost. It was more like he was walking through spiderwebs. That's what it looked like. But then the scene cuts to Harry, Ron, Neville, Dean, and Seamus hanging out in their dorm room. And I didn't hate the weird little sleepover animal noise candy-eating pillow fight shenanigans. But why... The hell is Neville wearing a sweater vest, or as we've discussed in the past, a tank top, and suspenders over his pajamas? Maybe they were playing some weird opposite of strip poker game where they have to put clothes on to make themselves look stupid? <laughs> Maybe? I mean, Seamus was wearing a red robe and had a tie around his head. Ron was wearing a knit hat. And it looks like Dean has a scarf tied around his head. Harry's the only one that looks relatively normal until he eats something that causes steam to come out of his ears. Yeah, I mean, that's the weirdest game I've ever heard of, but maybe. <laughs> what would it be called? Because opposite of strip poker doesn't really work. <laughs> opposite. Want to play opposite of strip poker? What? Um, war <laughs> it's a mouthful. Reverse strip poker? Clothing? <laughs> I don't know. Poker? Anyway. I don't know. Anyway. But then the camera view shifts to outside their window, and we see all of the Dementors floating in the air before it cuts to black. No lie, though. If flying Dementors were chilling outside my window, I'd be investing in some curtains ASAP. Yeah, that was a seriously creepy ending to this scene. Right? <laughs> but that'll bring us to the new and returning actors of this section. Like we said last week, we are going to talk about David Lewis as Remus Lupin today, because he actually had lines this time. He did. And they were wonderful. I thought he did really well. Yeah, I mean, obviously we get to see so much more out of him as this goes on, but yeah, just the way that he interacted with Harry and Ron and Hermione, predominantly Harry, obviously, on the train. Mm -hmm. He just gave this very gentle... Yeah. And like caring and understanding, and it's just exactly what I expected out of Lupin. Yeah. It really was. Like I said in the last episode, I was very nervous when I saw like promo pictures and when they announced that he was going to be playing Lupin. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then the promo pictures came out and he had the weird mustache going and he looked like Sherlock Holmes. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but you know what? He won me over very quickly. He really did. Yeah. I really loved him. Like I know a lot of people complained about the age discrepancy. 
And we'll talk about that later, too, when Gary Oldman comes more into the picture. Right. Because David Thewlis was a lot older than Remus Lupin was intended to be at this point. Well, so was Snape. So was Snape. So was Harry's parents. I mean... And I've heard multiple reasons why that happened. One was because they really wanted Alan Rickman as Snape. Mm -hmm. And because he was older, they had to age everyone else up as well. I've also heard that... They didn't want the flashbacks of Harry's parents to show 21-year-old kids. Yeah. And have people realize that's how old they were when they died. Because that's pretty depressing. Which I think they should have, because that would have made it even more brilliant. But, I mean, that's that's not me. But we weren't the directors. Right. My excuse, though, as far as Lupin goes, I understand Snape. Because if you can get Alan Rickman, you fucking get Alan Rickman, you know? Right. But as far as Lupin, and like I said, even with Sirius goes... I always see it as the characters, Remus Lupin and Sirius Black, have been through so much in these 13 years since their best friends died. And they've been through so much. Sirius has been in Azkaban for this whole time and been going crazy as fuck if he wasn't crazy already. I mean, Gary Oldman. Exactly. Crazy Gary Oldman. But, but yeah, to think that of everything that the character had been through in those... 13 years at this point and everything that Lupin had been through as we'll talk about later what with you know his condition his furry little problem yes it's gonna age you quite a bit and so I actually didn't mind that they went with older actors to play them well and the book itself did describe him as being prematurely gray Mm -hmm. and looking older than he really was so yeah, I think it was fine. It didn't bother me yeah. at all. I mean, like I said, I would have loved for it to have been Ewan McGregor, but that's just for my eye candy, really. But <laughs> when I never really got the impression that Lupin was supposed to necessarily be the eye candy. So No, I don't think he was, but I think the way that, especially the Not female audience romanticizes. It would have been a bad thing to have. Yeah, I feel like the way right. he's romanticized in the fandom, you kind of wanted that, but... Yeah, but that's because of who he is, not because of how he looks. Exactly. I wouldn't kick David Lewis out of bed, (laughs) even with the stupid Lupin mustache. (laughs) Fair enough. We also officially meet Michael Gambon as Hippie Dumbledore. Definitely Hippie Dumbledore. (laughs) And I haven't gone into much detail with this. And considering that I try to keep the hate out, I'm not ever going to go into too much specific detail. But I do make it known that I'm not a huge fan of movie Dumbledore and book Dumbledore is one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. But my first impression of Michael Gambon wasn't honestly that bad of one. It kind of grew into my distaste for it. So this first impression of him, I felt like he was more Dumbledore than a lot of but again that's not necessarily on the actor it's the lines that they give him or take away from them Mm -hmm. but even though it wasn't in the book when he did that whole light thing and gave like i said that really cryptic advice yeah it felt very dumbledore yeah it was enough of a whimsy without as much of the like later on in this movie i'm gonna say it then but it gets too whimsical and they make him seem more like a bumbling old man rather than like this omniscient, yeah. omnipotent Dumbledore that he was. So, Like he just kind of seemed stoned for a good chunk of the movie. Yeah. Yes, he did. Like you said. <laughs> yeah. For his glaucoma. Yeah. It's it all for glaucoma. a really good description. I laughed really hard. He's got a prescription. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But he did, he did come across a little bit more out there. Yeah. Than I would have liked to see Dumbledore. Yeah, I have to agree. First impression, I was But that's what happens when you don't bother to read the books before or when you, like... He didn't read any of the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how you can grasp a character if you don't do any background research on him. Yeah. Especially when there's so much research to be had. You know, it's not like... Right. We have so much backstory about him. Yeah. I can agree with that. I mean, but from a first impression standpoint, I was excited for him for this first scene. Yeah. I thought he did really well. I loved the candlelight thing. I loved the happiness can be mm-hmm. found even in the darkest of times. All that. I loved it. It wasn't until later that I was like, oh, uh, maybe I don't like this as much as I thought I would. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, same here. And what it just kept getting worse as yeah. the films go on. But again, I digress. Let's move on. Yeah. 
we do see the majority of the other teachers, too, but we'll specifically talk about them as they do something more than just sit in the background. I'd say the same thing about Tom Felton returning as Draco Malfoy, since he really only had the one line there. True. I mean, it was a pretty dick line, and it was very Draco-like, so it worked, but we'll definitely discuss him in a future scene. Oh, we got some good Malfoy scenes in this film. (laughs) Yes, we do. We can, however, talk about the switch of the fat lady to Dawn French. And like I said, I love Dawn French. I think she's hilarious. Oh my god. Some of the stuff that she's done outside of Harry Potter, I've loved. She cracks me up. But this just felt like a bridge too far. Like, they made her too much of a bumbling caricature. I mean, it wasn't quite a full slapstick symphony, but it was definitely some slapstick. Oh yeah. And it wasn't something that happened in the book. But there were references to her making up passwords that would, like, pertain to things that she did. Like, over the break, she and her friend drank through all of the wine in one of the other paintings. Like, she did some silly things that were humorous. So I feel like they were trying to grasp that. Yeah. And put it into one scene but then they tried to pretend like after that they tried to pretend like she was doing that kind of stuff all the time yeah they like really drew attention to the fact that this was a change and it was kind of an interesting choice but it was funny it was entertaining oh yeah it really was she was was great it really was like i said i again no hate at all for dawn french i love the hell out of her as the fat lady i think that i was just expecting just slightly toned down than she did was all you know not that it was bad yeah the one real description the book gives is that she's a fat lady in a pink dress yeah and that is not what she was at all actually you know what fuck it let's just have a third potter pondering i want our keeper's opinion on this as well yeah don french is the fat lady what they thought about this portrayal of the fat lady yeah not even necessarily don french because she was great Mm -hmm. but it's how they wrote the character yeah it was definitely a writer's issue, basically. You're right. Writing and directing issue. Mm-hmm. But we also had Devin Murray return as Seamus Finnegan. Mm-hmm. Which he doesn't do much here, aside from just deliver some horrible ad-libbing. No, he does. I mean, he, you know, he, <laughs> he frustratedly tries to get the fat lady to open the door for him. And, yeah. And then acts like an animal. Yeah. Does some bad ad-libbing with Harry. Yeah. But... Yeah. He's still adorable. He is. I still love the accent. My little Irish Seamus. (laughs) Plus, again, we saw Alfred Enoch as Dean Thomas. We haven't heard his one line yet, but... No, but he did get to make a sound when he He walked through a ghost. (laughs) Yes, he did get to make a sound. You are correct. It's kind of funny because the acting that he did looked like he walked into a spider web. And I kind of see that as being what it would be like to walk through a ghost. Yeah. I feel like that makes sense. And I think it's always hilarious to see somebody walk through a spider web from a distance because you can't see the spider web and it just looks like they snapped. Yeah. And that's what he did. He just snapped. But you could see the ghost. So it's not as mm-hmm. funny. It's more like a because you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll mention him again when we get to his one line. Yeah. <laughs> but lastly, we had Matthew Lewis return as Neville Longbottom. And of course, Matthew Lewis's teeth as Neville Longbottom's teeth. Because they deserve their own credit. Yes, which, you know, really I love him. takes the Oscar <laughs> on this one. But all he really gets to do in this one is act like an elephant. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little disappointed that he didn't use his arm as a trunk while he did it. Right? I was thinking that too. His little head bobbing seemed very elephant-like. Mm-hmm. The sound effects really helped. Yeah. It struck me as more of it was like a tick. Like he ate the candy or whatever it was and it was just like coming out of him forcefully. Like maybe somebody needs to give him the Heimlich. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe he was choking on the elephant. But now that we've brought that up. (laughs) But he was adorable no matter what. Despite the fact that wardrobe put him in a fucking sweater vest and suspenders. Well, and he's going to have more moments. We'll talk about other Neville moments throughout this. This was just the first sighting. So. Oh, we've got a great one coming up. I'll tell you what. First first defense class is one of my favorite Neville moments ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll get there. We will get there. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Ponderings. Our first one is, what do you think Lupin said to the train driver? Also... 
What do you think about the addition of the Toad Choir? And what is your opinion of the change of the Fat Lady? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. As always, we look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from our friend Steve Rogers. He says, My name is Steve Rogers, and this is my Sorting Hat story. His house is Slytherin. His wand is 14-inch redwood with a unicorn hair core. It's hidden inside a gentleman's cane of the same wood with a brass alchemy as its top handpiece. It's sort of a less malevolent Malfoy Sr. rig. His Patronus, you guessed it, it's an alchemy. Of course. (laughs) How I got into Potter. He said, I honestly wasn't that knowledgeable of this fandom until a former boyfriend who was a proud Ravenclaw demanded to know my various Potter-related details and pulled up Pottermore and demanded I take some tests. I rather agree with it all, and while I'm happy to be among the cunning folks of Slytherin, I tend to identify more as an American with the clever and adventurous members of Ilvermorny's house Thunderbird, and my tests reflect that. Happy podcasting, ladies. I'm likely planning my next adventure while you record this. Aw, he's so fun. (laughs) Thanks for sharing your story with us, Steve. Yeah. I knew it'd be a creative one. Yeah, and it's all true. Oh, it's very Steve. Everything is very Steve. (laughs) That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, where is the divination classroom? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag inner eye will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, a just keep rolling, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. We also want to give a shout out, welcome, and thank you to our newest patron, Juliana Muma. Thank you so much for your support. We're really excited to have you join us on our patron-only Facebook page and are looking forward to interacting with you more and getting to know you better. If any of our other keepers would like to support us as a patron to join us on our patron-only page and for other extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. There's also all sorts of links to get to our various social media and places where you can listen to us. Also, don't forget to keep an eye out for us to go live on Instagram tomorrow, Saturday, August 22nd, 2020, to announce the winner of our magical raffle. We hope for that to be about 2.30 Eastern Standard Time. You still have one more day to get as many entries as possible before the drawing. You can check out the rules on our pinned Facebook post at JKR Podcast. Good luck to everyone who entered. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.